Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. We hope this resource inspires you and equips you to walk in everything that God has for you. On Tuesday, October the 22nd, around 3.25 a.m., I was awakened and went into prayer. While I was in prayer, Holy Spirit startled me. He startled me with a statement concerning offending the anointing. Now, let me give you just some foundational truths that you need to remember throughout this message so you won't think that I'm getting into heresy. First of all, you need to remember Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. When God calls you, when God gifts you, that's irrevocable. He doesn't take that back. The second truth is this. God's omnipresence is his attribute of being everywhere at once, not readily discerned with the senses. So God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, even when you don't sense him. You go throughout your day, and you may never consider him. You may never pause to acknowledge him, but his presence is still with you. The third truth, though, is God's manifested presence. When our theological knowledge becomes experiential knowledge, and that is discerned with the senses. So we have God's omnipresence that we might not sense, but suddenly his manifested presence, or what we call the Shekinah glory, comes into a room, and your senses, you, you sense his presence. I've, 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 I've heard things, I've seen things, I have felt things. Uh, there are times people smell an odor of his presence. I have felt his presence walk up behind me so powerful it startled me. I had felt his anointing in my hands. I have felt his, his spirit come over me. I have felt his anointing flow into me. So whenever there's a manifestation of God's presence, your senses are awakened, okay? But you need to remember 1 Samuel 16. In regards to Saul, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. God had anointed him, which as you know, means to smear with oil, to consecrate to an office or to empower. And God had anointed Saul for that position of king, but, but Saul abused it. Saul used it for selfish reasons. And when he did, God withdrew his hand, okay? So listen, we can never lose the reality of the omnipresence of God. That reality is there. How many knows that he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? His omnipresence is with us always, okay? And that's a reality. And you can't, you can't lose the omnipresence of God. He's always here. But we can't lose our sense of his manifested presence. And this is a, a fact throughout the scriptures where God may withdraw his hand from a man's life. Now, we're not talking about the callings and giftings of God that are irrevocable, but we're talking about God may withdraw his hand from a man's life because of a number of things such as rebellion or sin, but God can withdraw his hand. 
So with that said, I want you to go with me to Matthew 25. Let's pick up verses 14 through 29. I'm going to read you a story that you've probably never connected it to what I'm going to preach on this morning, but I'm going to use this story as a backdrop to simply show what I believe to be a kingdom principle that you and I need to consider this morning. This is the story of investment. Matthew 25, verse 14. It's also like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. Notice that. To one, he gave $5,000. To another, 2000 To a third, 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. Notice that. The one given $5,000 showed how he had doubled his investment. His master commended him, good work, you did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Notice that. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he also had doubled his master's investment. His, master's, his master commended him, good work, you did your job well, and again, from now on, be my partner. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards, notice that, and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowance for error. I was afraid of you. I was afraid, notice that. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place, and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's a criminal, it's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? Notice that. The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. And get rid of this, play it safe, notice that, who won't go out on a limb, throw him out into outer darkness. I want you to notice key verses 28 and 29, take the thousand and give it to the one who I risked the most and get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb. Let's title this, Offending the Anointing. Father, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word. I do pray that now you would anoint me, empower me, grace me to communicate to your people here in this house and on the web that which you dropped in my spirit. Give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. And I pray it in Christ's name and the church said amen. Amen. Now, let me just quickly take you back to the anointing 101, okay? Just wanna lay a little groundwork and then I'll get to my point. The anointing 101, the word anointing in the Hebrew means to consecrate, to provide an unction, not only to say something, but to act. So it's an empowerment that comes over you. When God anoints you, there is that unction to do something. The second thing, the word anointing in the Greek means to smear with oil, an endowment, an unction of the Holy Spirit. So again, it's to anoint you with oil, it is to consecrate you to an office, and then it's to empower you and then give you that unction to do something for the kingdom of God. Now, anoint or consecrate to an office. Think of that, to be consecrated to an office. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 reads, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Notice that word power. The number two in that verse, 
and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. There was action there. Number three, because God was with him. Now leave that on the screen for just a moment, guys. The first thing I want you to see there is that you are anointed or consecrated to an office with Holy Spirit power. When God puts you into a position, uh, when God installs you, he consecrates you into a position, he does that with power. How many knows that God will give you responsibility, but with that, he'll give you authority, amen? But you have to step into that authority. You have to recognize who you are, and you have to step into that moment, okay? Authority, authority, you have to know is a choice. You have to choose authority. Power, that's a matter of grace. Power will come upon you after the Holy Spirit comes on you, Acts chapter one, verse eight. God may grace you with power, but you have to choose authority and you have to step up into that authority and operate in your authority. The second thing I want you to notice there is that he said he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. When you're consecrated to an office, it is with an eternal purpose. God may give you power, but God also gives you purpose. Listen to me, God doesn't put you in a position just for self-indulgence. He will put you into a position with purpose, and that is to serve other people and to advance the kingdom of God. And everybody said amen. The third thing I want you to notice there is that God was with him. So when you're anointed or you're consecrated to an office, it comes with divine partnership. So whenever God consecrates you, he puts you into a position, he anoints you, he does it with power, he gives you a purpose, and he gives you partnership. How many knows that God will partner with you if you'll just let him? There's a divine partnership that God, that God brings. So know this, the anointing on you brings out the best in you, or the anointing makes the difference. So when you get consecrated into a position, you get anointed, know that it comes with power, with purpose, and with partnership. Let's talk about stewarding that anointing. So you're put into an office, but now you have to steward what God gives you. You have a responsibility. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 14. Guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. Leave that on the screen, guys. Number one, whenever you're consecrated and you're anointed, I want you to steward that anointing. You have a responsibility to steward that anointing. You need to have a sense of value. And oh, I wish you would grab that this morning. A sense of value. Notice what he said to Timothy, guard this precious thing. We've taken the anointing today and we've played with it. We've abused it. We've misrepresented it. We've used it for selfish, for selfish reasons. We've used it to attract attention to ourselves. But we need to value this precious thing that God has given us. The second thing I want you to notice that he said it's in your custody. So you have a sense of responsibility. Responsibility. You're responsible for the anointing that God gives you. When he anoints you with power, with purpose, with partnership, then you should value that anointing and you should have a sense of responsibility and guard it carefully. That's why I've said to you many times, with us so often, it's not about heaven or hell. 
It's not about that, but it's about guarding the presence of God in my life. It's about adding value and realizing how precious this thing is and not doing anything that might offend his presence. The third thing I want you to see there is that the Holy Spirit is working. Holy Spirit is working. The, the third thing is a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency. I've got to be about my father's business. I've got stuff to do. Jesus said, I gotta get busy. I got time. I, I, I've got very little time. I've gotta work while it is yet day because the night is coming when no man shall work. A sense of urgency. I believe in America today that we've been caught up in the cares of this life. We've been taken up with the things of this world to the point that we've lost our sense of urgency. There was a time when the second coming of Christ was a centerpiece of our messages, but now we've lost that. And now we're so caught up in this world that we've lost sight of the coming kingdom of God. We've got to awaken ourselves today and once again live with a sense of urgency because the night is coming when no man will work. You have to understand, we have to steward the anointing of God. So know that with nobility comes obligation. Your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And you've been anointed with power, with purpose, and with a partnership. And you have to value, you have to have a sense of responsibility and a sense of urgency. You need to know this. God is more concerned with your stewardship of the talents, the investment that he's made in you, than he is with your results. I want you to remember the text that we read. Three men, each given some talents. Each, five, two, and one. Notice that the master was not upset with the results. He was upset with the lack of stewardship. Notice that. He was upset with the one that did nothing with the investment that God gave him. He, in fact, said, you could have done the least, but he said, you did less than the least, and that, he said, is a problem for me. When we take what God's invested in our lives and we do less than the least, he said, that's a problem. He wasn't concerned about the results as much as he was with the stewardship. You have to steward the anointing. Number three, and I'm all for this. You have to grow in the anointing. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve God, don't break his heart. Notice this, three parts in this, his Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Number three, don't take such a gift for granted. Now, when Holy Spirit spoke to me on Tuesday morning, the 22nd, and he said, he spoke to me about grief, or excuse me, about offending the anointing. I thought, okay, I, I'm, this is new for me. And I needed scriptures to support this. And so I began to study and look. And I, I realized that the word grieve, okay, the word grieve here in Ephesians 4.30 means to throw into sorrow or to offend. He said, don't offend God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself, so don't take it for granted. So the first thing I want you to notice there 
how important it is. And you growing in your anointing, it requires intimacy with Holy Spirit. As Suzanne and Jason referred to in their words, growing in your anointing requires intimacy with Holy Spirit. You have to spend time with him. Number two, growing in your anointing, he said, uh, making you fit for himself. You gotta practice with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get stomped with that word practice, but you have to know that you have to learn how to move out into, in faith and grow in your anointing. You have to learn practice does make perfect. You have to learn how to let Holy Spirit use you. How many believes that in this house and in the kingdom of God, there's room for failure? That you can try and stumble, and we're not talking about sin, but we're talking about learning how to operate in your anointing. How many knows that you have to, to, to practice with Holy Spirit, you have to try and learn and grow in your anointing, work it out, amen, with fear and trembling? How many believes that? How many knows that you have to let Holy Spirit use you and over time we get better and better and better with the giftings and the talents and the anointing that he's given us, amen? So you've got to be fit. You've got to train yourself. You've got to practice. You've got to put yourself in training. He said, I am making you fit I'm making you fit for him. So you've got to get into training. You've got to learn. You've got to let Holy Spirit train you and teach you. So you've got to be intimate with him. You've got to train with him. And then last of all, he said, don't take this for granted. You've got to be sensitive with Holy Spirit. Don't take this for granted. Don't take the anointing for granted. Don't do it. So often he moves in our services and there may be tongues and interpretation or words of knowledge or healings or miracles. And so often we, we just take it for granted. Don't do that. Remain sensitive to Holy Spirit. So understand, we're talking about growing in your anointing, growing so you're intimate, you're, you're, you're in training, and you're sensitive. And remember, small beginnings lead to places of enlargement, or when we ignore him, we break his heart. There are places where God wants to take you and I. There are places in the anointing in the kingdom of God where he wants to take us. Small beginnings lead us to places of enlargement. I've taught you this for years that in every service, I'm constantly looking for just the cl a cloud as with Elijah, a cloud the size of a man's hand. I'm constantly looking for just a small opening and I've learned if I'll move towards it, suddenly that small opening begins to enlarge itself and small beginnings can take you to places of enlargement and you step through that moment and miracles begin to happen. So it's incumbent upon us to be sensitive to Holy Spirit and don't take it for granted. And as we read here with Paul in Ephesians, he said, don't offend God. Don't break his heart. Him moving in your life He's the most intimate thing you can have. He said he's trying to train you. He's trying to train you for himself. And the last thing he said was, don't take this for granted. We've got to understand 
that when we move in our, when we're in our services and God begins to move and, and we shut him down because we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed. We break his heart. That's why in America today, I'm so grieved over the fact that we've reduced our services down to just very little time to get people in, get people out. We, we've, we've reduced it down to, to, to just motivational speeches, speeches and not gospel preaching. And we've cut the altar out and we've dismissed Holy Spirit because he embarrasses us. Tongues and interpretation, we don't allow that because it's embarrassing. Words of knowledge and prophecy, we don't permit that because that's fanaticism. People being prayed for on the altars, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 they'll tell you, pastor, you, you need to cut that out because you're scaring people. And when we dismiss Holy Spirit from our services, we offend him. And we break the heart of God. The anointing 101. So let me get to my point. The fact is in our story, we find a principle that I believe that applies to investments that God makes in our lives. Rather it's finances, giftings, talents, the anointing. The fact is we see in this story, either you use it or you lose it. Verse 14, let me just go through here quickly and then I'm out of your way. And verse 14, the master delegated responsibilities to people, to his servants. He delegated it. I want you to see in verse 14, when you get home and you study this, I want you to see that the master was looking for someone he could trust with future responsibilities. The master was looking for someone he could trust. He's looking for somebody that he can trust. The master is looking for somebody that he can trust with responsibilities. He said he called his servants together and he began to delegate responsibilities. He said, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that and you're gonna do this. He was looking for somebody. Did you know that God is looking for somebody that he can trust with his anointing? For those of you that are older, you'll remember 80, 88, 89, the scandals that rocked the church, the scandals with the television evangelist that fell and how it just shook the church. It was the first time that we as the church in America took a hard hit like that. And I remember the, the, the knees of the church buckled. I remember it vividly. I remember it. I remember it. So it was so powerful for us. And, and I remember when the Assemblies of God, the, the executive presbytery met with one of these gentlemen to talk with him. And, and, and after that meeting, this, this friend of mine was flying home from Springfield, Missouri. And while he was on the plane, he was, be, he was grieved over what he had heard and, and what was happening. And he said in that moment, Holy Spirit spoke to him in regards to the anointing. He asked him the question, who can I trust? Who can I give my anointing to that won't smear the oil on them? 
to, to, to draw attention to themselves. Remember, in the Old Testament, God said, this is my, my, my personal anointing oil, the formula, the apothecary. He said, this is mine. And he said, don't you put that on the flesh. Don't you use it to make yourself smell good or draw attention to yourself. It was a principle. You don't put the anointing on the flesh. He said, it's my anointing oil. And this man of God was sitting on that plane. God said to him, who can I trust with my anointing? We smear it on ourselves. We package it and we sell it. Think about it. Who can I trust? God's looking for somebody he can trust. In this verse 14, the master entrusted his servants with his treasure. He gives you something that's so precious to him. Do you understand how precious the anointing is to him? Do you understand the value that he places on it? Do you understand how important this is to him? And yet, he gives it to you and me. In verse 14, each servant received according to their ability. One five, one two, one one. Each was given to their ability. And it's a foolish thing when you and I compare ourselves with one another. The Bible says don't do that. Don't do that. With some, they have the temperament, the personality, the ability to carry five talents. With some, it's two talents. With some, it's one. Each according to their ability. Just settle in to who you are and your abilities and what God has given you and celebrate that and stop comparing yourself with other people. I wish I could sing like these guys and play these instruments like these guys, but I can't. That's their ability. And as long as I compare myself to others, it keeps me in a state of defeat. But when I let go of comparing myself and I step into who I am, I find victory. You've got to operate in your anointing and in your abilities and settle that now. Your most creative moments come they happen. They're realized in self-discovery. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know who I am. I know who I belong to. I know what he's called me to do. And I will not compare myself with others. When you do what you do the way you do it, you're dangerous. Let others preach the way they preach. Let them teach the way they teach. Let them sing the way they sing. Let them labor the way they labor. You do what you do. Like David, kick off Saul's armor, pick up a rag and a rock and kill your giant. Don't do it the way Saul does it. You do it the way you do it. And you'll be victorious every time. Only you can fulfill your God-given purpose. Only you can. The, the master called the servants together. And he says, okay, this is who you are. This is who you are. And this is who you are. And I'm entrusting my treasure to you. And I'm trusting that you're going to steward this and you're going to protect it. I'm trusting you. I'm giving you responsibility. And I'm looking to you to do what you do the way you do it because it's only then that you're able to fulfill your God-given purpose. I got to skip some stuff. Hold on. Let's drop down 
let, let me say this, and then I'm, I'm going to skip some stuff. Five talents, two talents, and one talent. I want to encourage everyone in this room that you, for those who feel like maybe you're, you're a one-talent person or a two-talent person, listen to me. Everybody may start at a different point, but through stewardship and faithfulness, everybody can reach the same goal. I had a friend of mine when we were pastoring in Austin, Texas, self-made millionaire. He told me one time, he said, you know, Randy, I bankrupt four times, four businesses, and I hit it on the fifth one. He said, I, I, in the very beginning, I knew this. I wasn't as smart as my competitors, but he said, I knew I could outwork them. And that's what he did. And he just wouldn't give up. See, you might say he was a two-talent guy. There were other guys that might be five-talent and they just fell into it. It just happened. But he was perhaps a two-talent guy, but he wouldn't give up and he doubled his talents. We all may start at a different place, but you can end up at the same goal. You can do it. You just gotta make up your mind. You gotta make up your mind. I know who I am. I know who I am. It's time to stop trying to be more than what you are and just be good at who you are. Oh, just quit right now. Go to the house. I'm done. You've got all you need. It's time to stop trying to be more than what you are and just be good at who you are. Think about it. Let's drop down to verse 16 through 23. He said to these guys that were investing, he said, God, I want you to be my partner. I want you to be my partner. Be my partner. I, I need a partner. And, and so the master expected, though, an increase on his investment. Now, we're talking about the anointing. An increase on his investment. The master held his servants accountable for what they did with his investment. And the master was looking for someone to partner with. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jehovah God who stands on the edge of eternity, makes the earth his footstool, flings the stars out with his hands and names each one, who traced the rivers with his finger, who reached down to the dust of the earth and formed man and then whew, breathed into him the Ruach HaKodesh. And the Bible says he stood up a living soul or as some Jews say it, a speaking spirit. Wow, that God. The psalmist said, stoop down from the heavens and consider me. That God, that God wants to partner with you. You see, you think the miracle of Pentecost is that you speak in tongues. The miracle of Pentecost is that God gave you something to say. God wants to partner with you. And for the most part, the church in America is clueless to that. Amen. He wants to partner with you and me. Jeremiah 29, for I know the thoughts that I'm thinking towards you, 
thinking towards you. I've got thoughts that I'm projecting towards you. I got some ideas about you, big ideas. I got big ideas. I got some thoughts about you. So the question is, what does God know about you that you don't? Where has God wanted to take me that I don't see yet? What has God wanted to do in me and through me that I don't realize yet? We're talking about an investment in my life and we're talking about investing the anointing. We're talking about God saying, I want to partner with you. I want to invest my anointing in you. What does God know about me that I don't? So this is the prayer of the faithful servant that we've said it here many times. Help me be the man that I need to be so you can be the God that I know you are. Help me because God, as we've preached for years, God does nothing but an answer through prayer. God's given us the keys to planet earth. So we're here to take dominion and rule. So how many, how many believes that I need to be the man that God needs me to be so that through me, he can be the God that I know he is? We gotta get out of the way, guys, and let God be God. So we've got to understand this partnership. Let's drop down. Verse 28 and 29, and we're done. He said, guys, listen, I so want to partner with you. Got great, great ideas, great plans. But to the one, he said, you've been playing it safe. This was a disturbing story and, and, and you read this and you find that the master rewarded risk taking. Now get that, he rewarded risk taking. The guy that takes the five and the two and they multiply it, he rewarded them because they were taking risk. He, 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 took, he took from the one that did nothing and gave it to the others. He rewarded risk taking. How many believes that without faith it's impossible to, believe, to, to please God? Do you understand God's looking for risk takers? We're not talking about presumption. We're talking about faith. We're talking about stepping out in faith. Risk takers. We're talking about visionary people. People that are not afraid of change. People that are, they're not afraid to step outside the box because for them, there is no box. You can't box God in. You see, the veil of the, the temple was torn and God walked out of the box. We kept him in the box for years because we wanted to control him. But when the veil was torn in two, he that was a captive to his own holiness stepped out of the holy box, the terrible box, and now he walks among men. He said, I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll get up close and personal with you. God's looking for risk takers. People that understand there is no box. Just take the chance, the risk. The master's investment became exponential. Whenever they stepped out in faith, it just began to skyrocket. It became exponential. And the master demanded to these guys, he demanded, he made it very clear, either you use it or you're going to lose it. And therein lies our message. That this master, 
gave us a, or Jesus gave us a parable of a master, a backdrop to convey a kingdom principle that this master was looking to delegate responsibility, to make an investment in servants' lives. He was going to give them things according to their ability. How many knows he won't put more on you than you can bear? But once he gives it to you, he expects you to do something with it. And he taught us, either use it or you can lose it. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. Think about this parable. The master considered cautious living that does less than the least offensive, or he called it criminal behavior. Now those are strong words. Those are strong words. And yet we find ourselves here today, Holy Spirit speaking to us and saying to us, don't grieve or offend the anointing that when we ignore him, we break his heart. When we refuse to engage and take risk and use the anointing that he's given us, we always run the chance of losing it. We're not talking about the omnipresence of God. We're not talking about the giftings and callings of God that are irrevocable. We're talking about when God lays his hand on a man's life like he did Saul, and Saul was filled with rebellion and God withdrew his hand from him. He was still king. He still had his, his, his calling. He still had it, his gifting, but God withdrew his hand from him. And the Bible says an evil spirit came to torment him. Thus the reason for David coming and playing his harp at night to try to soothe the nerves of King Saul. You see, we either use it or we stand to lose it. And I believe Holy Spirit sent me here this morning with a sobering word starting here with me and for everyone in this room and those watching on the web that when the master makes an investment in our life, he fully expects us to give back to him a return. And that return is the least he didn't make high demands of them. He just simply said, you didn't have to find a secret place and hide. All I asked you to do was the least. Just work it and let it gain interest. Let it grow in your life. He didn't demand of them these lofty goals. The unprofitable servant said, I was afraid of you. You have such a high standard. Oh, you, you, you're so intolerant. Listen to the wording. The, the servant said, you have such high standards. You hate careless ways. You demand the best. You make no allowance for error. I was afraid. How many times have we said that in our services, in our churches? Oh, I, I, I feel I'm called to teach, but I'm afraid. I feel called to, to work, but I'm afraid. I, God, I can never please God. I can never please people. How long will we use our perceived? 
How long will we use our, 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 our perceived, our perception of God's intolerance as an excuse to do nothing? See, we, we, we have this perception, we perceive this, that God's intolerant. God's intolerant. And, and we have this, it's not true, but we perceive it. And we say, oh, God's intolerant. How long are we gonna use that, that excuse not to do something? He said, this was, this was criminal. Stephen, come help me. We either use it or we could lose it. I really felt that yesterday, Holy Spirit was dealing with me about this, these words of this unprofitable servant. You have a high standard and you hate careless ways and you demand the best. And it was like he was saying to me, stop blaming God's perceived intolerance for your lack of involvement. Stop blaming God. You're saying God, God's intolerant of imperfections and because of that, I'm just not gonna get involved. There's not a man or a woman in this room and watching on the web that doesn't have, if you're not born, if you're born again and, 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 and if, you're, if you're born again, the Bible makes it clear that because of Holy Spirit that resides within you, there's an anointing inside of you. It abides within you. And because of that, you have a responsibility to do the least, to do the least. He didn't say the most, he said just do the least. And when you don't, he said that's criminal behavior. He said to the unprofitable servant, you did less than the least. Well, what was less than the least? He hid his anointing. He was afraid, he hid it. I'm not here this morning to bring condemnation on no man, no woman, no young person. But I'm here to awaken us to this truth that we're responsible for the investment that God has made in our lives. Again, Ephesians 4, he said, don't grieve or offend God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for the, for the, for the kingdom, making you fit for him. So don't take such a thing for granted. When we take the anointing for granted, we break the heart of God. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, my callings and my giftings are irrevocable, but I believe it is possible, as with Saul, for God to withdraw his hand from a man's life. You either use it or you could lose it. On Tuesday morning, April, or excuse me, October the 22nd, 2019, around 3.30 in the morning, Holy Spirit dealt with me concerning 
an unusual word. He spoke to me about offending the anointing. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask that you would continue to move in our church and move in our lives. We, as your people, we carry a sense of responsibility. The enemy has lied to us. He's intimidated us. He's driven us into hiding places. He's told us that our father is intolerant. You can't please him. So we hid our talents. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to speak this word to every man, every woman, every young person in this house and on the web. Speak to them, Father, beginning with me. May we see how dangerous it is to neglect the anointing. You've entrusted us with your most precious treasure. And we either use it or we stand to lose it. Thank you for listening to the Cathedral Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit icathedral.org.